Welcome into another edition of New Track Record. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kinney back with you this week to recap the Big Machine Music City Grand Prix on the streets of Nashville. Hello, Justin. Hello, Caleb. You look uh, refreshed, rested and refreshed <laughs> from the Music City Grand Prix. It uh, it was a wild race yet again. I personally was entertained. I know as were you watching we were, on, yeah. we'll on both television. Yeah, we'll both get to that. Uh, did you get uh, doused in any rain? No. Did Good. not get... Uh, wet from the rain which was nice the storm clouds were clearly rolling in during the latter stages of the indy lights race we went and walked over right as the checkered flag flew to the stadium concourse and we're under there and it started downpouring probably within about five minutes very nice so they do have the stadium open at least yes. the concourse area okay correct on nice. on the side closest to the, the track so right. they had concessions open restrooms open everything awesome. so it was it was great. I'm sure the concessions people were like, oh, a flood yeah. of people. This is great, right? Great for business. Absolutely. So uh, I guess we'll start as Scott Dixon gets his 53rd career win, which is just wild. And he went 54 laps on his uh, last set of tires in the win. So he surpasses Mario Andretti for number two all time after being tied with Andretti at 52 with the Toronto win earlier this season. So now he stands alone in second place on the all-time IndyCar slash open wheel wins list. We thought this would happen, right? But I think it he's kind of had a bounce back later in the season. And I, I guess before we get to our three things, I mean, I kind of want to talk Scott Dixon a bit. I mean, the, the guy is just so consistent and it feels like he's picked his spots this season and outside of, a pit speed violation at the Indy 500. I mean, he is rolling when it matters most. He absolutely is. And just when you begin to count Scott Dixon out or think, okay, maybe this is the end, right? And not saying that he would never win a race again, but you're thinking, okay, we're seeing signs of his decline, right? He goes out, he wins a race that nobody expected him to win from where he started. And now enters the final three races a legitimate title contender, which for the majority of the season we really haven't considered him one. So how about it with, with, with Scott Dixon, you know, just coming back the last several races, putting together a string of really successful finishes, and here he is, as good of a uh, chance as anybody to win the championship and what would be his seventh tie yes. AJ? Correct be pretty big accomplishment absolutely so we will see if he can pull it off but you know we say you never count scott dixon out and even when you start doing so you're reminded to never do it so we'll start with our three things and i'll just start talking about my experience because i think it's the most obvious thing to start with since i attended the the race weekend was there saturday for qualifying and and checked out I think there was a super trucks race on Saturday as well. Um, and then Sunday for the, not the warm up, but for Indy lights, uh, and then leading into the race, obviously with the rain on, on Sunday and on Saturday too, right? Yeah. Rain Saturday. Um, didn't maybe go and see as much as I would have wanted to, um, but the rain kind of worked out some nice gaps in the schedule. But overall, I mean, to me, 
the improvements they made with the track, I think worked. Yeah. Now the drivers didn't improve, but I think yeah. the I think the track improvements worked. They made that super narrow tight section open that up a bit, closed the gap just a little and added some sweets into what turn nine. Yeah. Which is kind of the big passing area. And moving the restarts to uh, on the bridge, exiting the bridge, I think was was good. I know that some drivers had complaints about safety and everyone getting stacked up. And well, I mean the the leader controls the pace, and so until they start penalizing the the leader, and they did wave off a restart because below was he was what, too deathly slow. slow. Yeah, he was. Which they say, you know, they were kind of questioning how can you be too slow when the you know the guy in first sets the pace. But if you're going slower than the uh, the, the uh, pace car speed, then they'll wave it off. So, you know, we saw some strategery with that. And, you know, at least below, at least kind of got called out for it. But there were some other small, some some slow starts that I thought maybe were in danger of getting waved off in, yeah, the, in the race elsewhere. Quite often they were waving the green flag and the cars were already by the starters. Yeah, and then, you know, they penalized, you know, who was it? Kyle Kirkwood, I think, made a move on a restart where he passed mm-hmm. a couple guys. And I don't really, like... Throwing the green is all about anticipation, right? You're trying to anticipate when that thing is going to wave, and I didn't. Th- I thought I thought it was a good move by Kirkwood because you were, you know, like you mentioned, a couple of those restarts. You're like, okay, they had to have waved it, right? So, uh, you know, some people got caught, but you know, I, I think this both it's both our number one points talking about this race because there was so much coming out of this on both sides, and you know, some very vocal people out there that say this is a problem and. It's a race that needs fixed or a circuit that needs fixed. And I know you or I are kind of on the same page on the other side of that. And, you know, people, very smart people, you know, when you look at some reporters out there saying that this is a mess and I respect you know their opinions, but I like it. I, I feel like you know, when you look at the cautions and we had eight cautions in the race and I'm going to go through each of these because, you know, the 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 track is conducive to having to run it a particular way, right? And then a certain respect. And I don't think it's the track's fault that the drivers can't compose themselves and drive in a mature manner. And why do we have to dumb things down to make sure they do that? I mean, I think professional race car drivers should be able to adjust based on what the track is and what it presents. If I you fully can't do agree. that, then, you know... We saw uncertainty with this rate. We talk about Scott Dixon. He's he's nowhere in the conversation without a timely yellow. You know, you know, IndyCar couldn't keep the track open, but and let everybody pit before throwing the caution because of the tight confines of this course. It was just an uncertain, chaotic race. I don't, I'm not saying I want 17 races like this, but I like the change in in you know the the approach. I like one or two races a year like this. If I wanted to watch a parade and already know who's likely going to win, I'd watch F1. Right. And I say this as someone who watches F1. <laughs> but look, this this race was unpredictable. To me, I fully blame the drivers for the over-aggressiveness. And, and you look at some of the people involved in these crashes, it's people that, well, are being over-aggressive. Devlin Francesco with Takuma Sato. I mean, that was, to yeah. me, looked like completely on Devlin. Yeah, I mean, you look, let's go through them these real quick, and we'll start with the yeah. first one. So Rossi cooks it into turn ten, stalls. Yeah, and okay? had like his engine like shut off or yeah. something. It was kind of which bizarre. is kind of funky. So that's caution one. Elio spins on his own. 
Yep. That's caution two. The the third caution was kind of the you know the the mess <laughs> one with the accordion effect tight confines, right? Power got backed up and then Pato got backed up and Graham got backed up and I think there are several other cars involved in that. Yeah. So it was it was a mess. Is it, three. So keep going. You mentioned Devlin De Francesco gets in too deep in the turn. In, you know, yeah. So that's way too deep. That's the fourth caution. The that's fifth the fourth caution. caution. That's Ray. That's Ray Hall. Yep. Crashes on his own. That one is. Uh, let's see. Graham Ray Hall again. They went back out trying yeah, to gain positions the car and just was going too fast in the corner. Cooked it and crashed. Renus VK stuck behind him. Had nowhere to go. And uh, Graham didn't gain any positions by that, by the way. Yeah. Caution six was the bad Kirkwood move to Ugh. take out Malukas. And, and just, that's, you know, maybe we'll talk more about Kirkwood later. I mean, he actually has a decent weekend going. Both and not only does he ruin it for him, he ruins it for David Malukas. They could have both finished in the top 10. So another warning sign here we are with Kirkwood going to Andretti is, can this guy get through a race without crashing or having an, having an issue? But uh, going forward... Turn, uh, caution seven. Jimmy has something break on the bridge. Yeah, crashes. The rear suspension, which was damaged early in the race. He was running 13th, had a yeah, good race. He's going decent. Ran top five for part of the day. Final caution New Garden going in too deep in the wall or in the turn and takes Grosjean out. So and I'm sure we'll have that as one of our yeah. points. So, by and large, you're looking at set, at least seven of the eight cautions are directly related to driver error. The only one that's not is Jimmy. I mean, it was just a suspension piece broke. True. He spun yeah. out. So it, six or seven you can of those. Do. But you're looking at Rossi, mistake. Castroneves, mistake. DeFrancesco, mistake. Ray Hall, mistake. Kirkwood, mistake. Newgarden, mistake. I mean, these are driver errors. This isn't the track. It is guys driving the track wrong and causing an issue. So, look, I know people are going to say, you know... Uh, it's crash fest, it's caution fest, and blah, blah, blah. How many tracks do we go to, Caleb, where they're like, man, it's very tough to pass. Right. If I don't qualify up front, I'm really not going to be able to work my way up there, blah, blah, blah. The uncertainty of this race is a fresh, new perspective for things once you get into the grind of the season, and I will drink all of it. All Bring me back Music City next year, every single year. And this is one of those events, too, that if you don't like it, you just grin and bear it. Because, look... It is arguably the hot, like hottest city in terms of popularity in the South and one of the top three in the entire country right now. Yeah. And if, if people are going to the race, if, if, if the promoters are making money, all that stuff, then leave it alone because this is a positive event in a great market and your complaints, quite frankly, I don't think are worthy enough to change this change the track i mean everybody's like get rid of the bridge i, I think the bridge is is great because it sets up a passing zone right this would be an utter parade if the bridge was not part of it and it sets i don't up know two how passing you make, zones going each way yeah i don't know how you make a circuit yeah i, I just you know like I, I totally understand people's opinion the other way and, and i'm not saying and i'm not belittling them or anything i'm just kind of looking at it and yeah i don't have a dime in the fight I'm not getting quotes from drivers and teams about how crazy it is out there and how much money this is costing. But what I saw on Sunday was a great race with some unpredictability. And we let's be honest, we don't get a lot of that in IndyCar right now, to be honest. And Not at the front. Yeah, and anybody could have won this thing. Depending on how the cautions came out, I just saw a bunch of drivers that made mistakes and experienced veteran drivers. Rossi, Elio. 
Ray Hall, Newgarden. I mean, these guys are veteran drivers making mistakes and 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 bringing out yellows. That, that's not the track's fault, in my opinion. And we shouldn't dumb down a circuit because the drivers don't know how to drive on a track. And we didn't even mention that Kellett took out Herta and Herta still finished in the top five. Right. I mean, if you are an Andretti Autosport fan, in the opening parts of that, of that race, you saw Herta have issues and go lap down and Rossi go lap down and have issues. And both of them finished in what? The top 10? Top five. Top five. Yeah. Because Rossi and Herta, I think, were four and five. So any other race, they're screwed. It's over for them, right? And they were able to get back in the lead lap, not just the lead lap, but finish in the top five. That's the unpredictability of Nashville. I love it. Keep it the same. Don't change it. Give me half of the race under caution. I don't care because the the chaos, craziness, and unpredictability is refreshing, and I loved it. I had more issues with how the communication or lack thereof from IndyCar. Well, you texted me and said, I don't know when the race is going to start. Yeah. I haven't been told. Well, here's what was weird. So as far as the cautions and delays, whatever, compared to last year, this was not, this is a walk in the park. I thought the action was great when they were racing and outside of a couple of the yellows, maybe feeling a lap or two long. It, none of them felt excessive when they threw the red flag. I think fans cheered. We we're excited for that. Um, I could see five video boards from my seat in Grandstand 6. Now, not fully, but I could see three nice. fully. So it's not like you're missing out on the action. The only complaint I would have is that Grandstand 6 and 7, which are next to each other, they moved 7 at a different angle, so I couldn't see the entrance to turn 9. That was the the change. It made it a little bit unfortunate from a viewing perspective, but I could see the restart. So I guess I, right. I can't complain all around because I couldn't see the restarts last year. Um, they had plenty of water. That wasn't an issue. There's plenty of food options. Same stuff as last year. It, to me, it felt better run um, because they were able to work out some of the issues from last year. The track itself was better. And I think Tony DeZeno said it best on Twitter, thinking out loud how much of the Nashville carnage this week is attributed to this being fifth race in four weeks, fourth to last race of the season, big title implications, first track layout and the way it funnels into tight corners. And you get into it, and IndyCar has this culture of, oh, you you have to go for it when there's a a gap because it's so hard to pass. And there was plenty of passing. Plenty of passing. Plenty of passing. Yeah. So much more on any other road course we go to. I just thought, okay, this is a track where it's unpredictable. You know there will be yellows. The people who had issues early were able to make it happen in the end. I mean, even Scott Dixon... Had issues. Yeah. Um, obviously, we mentioned Rossi and Herta. If you're going to have issues, have them early in the race. But there, there are so many different things at play, and we didn't have any bogus IndyCar race control moves as far as waiting to throw a flag because they have to throw a caution right. out quickly because of the nature of the circuit. I, I mean, we didn't have any of that manipulating the cautions to help the leaders. Yeah, None of that absolutely. nonsense happened. Yeah. And here, here's the thing, too, because, you know, people are talking about getting into new markets and exposing IndyCar to people that otherwise wouldn't see a race. And, you know, people want to say, well, that wasn't IndyCar. That was NASCAR, which made me think, you know, what did NASCAR do to start the season this year? The Clash, right? At the Coliseum. Yeah. It's a small track on dirt. I mean, 
that's not NASCAR, right? I mean, NASCAR is, they're going to ovals and, and all the, they're not racing on dirt anywhere else. Except at Bristol. Yeah. But well, Bristol, this was, you know, this was paved. Right. But it's, you know, small track in a state, like, you know, that's not NASCAR. It's tiny track. But what it did is exposed their sport to people that otherwise would never have tried to race. You know, what did they say? Like fifty per, upwards of fifty percent of people that went to the clash had never been to a cup race before, or an NASCAR race. I of believe any kind. it. You know, you you go away, and and people have this impression of if they liked it, they're going to come back. And even though they're going to be like, wow, they go to these big tracks and they go to like road courses, and next year go to street courses. You know, it's just one piece. So if you have people that are going to Nashville watching a, an IndyCar race that otherwise wouldn't to some people's opinion that are really hard nosed into racing you know they want to see good hard clean racing and all that stuff but to the normal fan if they walk away entertained whether it was zero cautions or 10 cautions then you've won right you've gained a fan you've gained somebody that's maybe come back coming back so there are people out there, and I know there are because these people watch NASCAR with all their cautions and wrecks, you know, that were probably turned on by what happened on Sunday. And and so to me, I, I, I'm perfectly fine with it. I mean, you know, this is it goes back to people that don't want drama and want everybody to behave and, and be nice and friendly and all that stuff. And then we have something different. They complain about it. Is not racing entertainment. I mean, these are professionals. Right. This is not like on the high school or minor league or collegiate level like these are professional yeah. athletes to me entertainment is paramount yeah. in professional sports you are there to entertain and i would love to see like an exit poll or whatever people that went to the race on nashville on sunday maybe maybe i'm wrong maybe people 70 percent of people walked away and said that was a terrible race if so then you change something up right but if the majority of people went away happy and entertained then it's a successful event, regardless of what the the teams think or the or the drivers think. But it's just like you know, you you can't have it both ways, guys. You can't have it where you want these rivalries and and emotion and and all this stuff, and then you get it in a race, and then you're pissed about it. You know, I mean, yeah. people are like, well, they shouldn't be bumping. This is at NASCAR. Well, you know, I'm entertained by by cars bumping. They built these cars, the air body kits, to be able to handle bumps especially the side you know and and you know i i would think going into this race next year maybe they do something to protect the gearbox a little bit more because i think we saw some failures because of the hard hits between a nose and a gearbox those are the changes i'm making nothing to the circuit but you know what are people complaining about because you you come out of sunday and there's way too many cautions and all that stuff but man new garden grosjean give me more right other guys talking about you know other drivers give me more People already saying, you know, with Zach Brown is when does Penske put a muzzle on him or fine him or all that stuff. Like these are the characters you want in your sport to make it entertaining. These are the rivalries you want. These are the the clashes you want. This is like you said, this entertainment, right? And the gentlemanly game of racing isn't entertaining in 2022. I'm not saying I'm on it all 17 races, but sign me up for more Nashville. Yes, I think in diluting all that, I mean, that it takes away from the entertainment level. I think summing up just the weekend from my experience, I think one, like the, the circuit is entertaining. I think the drivers have to adjust to the circuit. Yes. And I also believe 
that looking at this track and they're under contract for next year, it will be back. That's our full understanding. And I get people who say, well, the crowd was terrible. Well, anytime you have a rain out that, that changes the crowd, you're bringing IndyCar to a major Metro area. And to me, a street circuit. Yes. I'm a fan of the sport, so I'm going to watch every race regardless. But to me, a street circuit is not for the diehard fans. A street circuit is a way to introduce it to people who've never been exposed to racing and or IndyCar and give them that opportunity. I think this race definitely does that, and it's a market that you want to be in, and I'll just say this. I get there's a track that's an oval in Lebanon, Tennessee, the NASCAR race is there. There's also a track the Nashville Fairgrounds Speedway in downtown Nashville uh, that NASCAR used to race at. Well, they're not there, and they're at the track outside of town. If you had this race, the IndyCar does, the track outside of town where they stopped racing at, what, in 2008 or nine? Yeah. They would get a quarter of the crowd at best. Absolutely. Um, it would not have any buzz, and, and, and it wouldn't be entertaining. And because NASCAR, that track produced bad racing back then. Yeah, and Cup would come in and swoop up that street course as soon as IndyCar dropped it, you know? You know, you had boots on the ground the first two years of this event. What did you think of the crowd from one year to the next factoring in the weather. Yeah. So factoring in the weather, it was a much smaller crowd. And I think that's to be expected, but you said like, you know, there was sell sold out grandstands, all that yeah. stuff. Yeah. It was not sold out. I mean, the grandstand I was in was maybe a quarter full. However, the stands across from me were packed. The, right. the some of the stands on the main street were packed. So it just kind of depended on the location. Um, the crowd was way down. However, the weather was way better. It was cooler. It was not 95, crazy humid and sunny every day like it right. was for the inaugural event. I'll be curious how this does in year three because then we'll have a, a true idea. It doesn't have that year one buzz. Uh, they have to build off this. I will say this. You would think that Joseph Newgarden would be the most popular driver at this event as far as you know gear and stuff. No. Really? No, it was Pato Award, far and away. Really? From from what I saw walking around, and this is walking around the facility, I think was the most popular driver. Uh, I would put Newgarden and Elio probably pretty similar as far as amount of driver gear in that second spot. Wow, nice. So, You know, my fi- final point on this whole thing before we get to our second and thirds of this race is what do we hear all throughout the month of May, it, right? Is the Indianapolis Motor Speedway races a specific way you need to respect it. You need to adjust your driving style to what the track is giving you. That's how you approach IMS. The veterans always talk about you know adjusting and, and taking what the track gives you. Why can't they do that in Nashville? Why do you approach one in one way and the other in another way? If the drivers can adjust to Indianapolis, they can adjust to Nashville. Dumbing down a track, dumbing down a circuit for the drivers in my opinion, you know, sacrificing entertainment. And I know people will say that, how is that entertainment? It's better than a parade. Like you said, which we see quite frankly, a lot of road and street courses are parades in IndyCar right now, folks. This one wasn't a parade. If, if maybe the other events were as exciting as some people like to think they are, or they used to be, then maybe we're not having this conversation. Maybe we're on board with changing some things, but if you can adjust to IMS and how you drive it, then you can adjust to Nashville. One last thought for me, a lot of people question, well, why is this in early August? It's because there's a gap on the convention schedule and and events schedule, and this was that open weekend. They didn't have anything. That's why it's that weekend. Look, it's hot in the South. People are used to it there. 
I, I yeah, get right? us, I mean, us you know Midwesterners what you're getting into, right? want to complain, but people who live there, that's normal. It's like that all the time. So I, I, don't, I, I guess when you're talking the local crowd, Nashville and, and metro area, it's just another weekend for them. I mean, I don't... I don't buy into the whole heat thing. Like in a couple of weeks, college football is going to start in the in the middle of August and going into September. It's still hot as hell in the South, but there's going to be a hundred thousand people at Neyland Stadium in Tennessee. There's going to be 90,000 people at Alabama and Auburn and South Carolina. Don't give me this crap about how it's too hot. Okay, plenty of people are going to plenty of events in the South in the middle of summer. Yeah. Yeah, and so this is that gap, and so they're taking advantage of it, and that date is not going to change. That's that's all there is to it. So overall, good event. I'll be curious how it goes next year. Looking at ticket sales before the weekend, before the weather impacted a lot of stuff, most of the grandstands were either sold out or close to sold out. I'm talking like under 100 tickets in the stand, with the exception of grandstands 6 and 7, which had a lot more availability and they were probably about three quarters sold. Of course on Sunday, they looked like they were about a quarter full each, but overall I, if the promoter's happy, then that's ultimately all that matters. And if people show up again next year, the promoter will be happy. Yeah. And I'd be interested to know, you know, how many, how many quote unquote walk-ups do the, did they expect or maybe that they had last year that they didn't get this year because, you know, some people wait and see, I'm not buying a ticket unless I know the weather's going to be all right. And, you know, both good chance of rain both days, Saturday and Sunday. And so a lot of people maybe had decided not to go because of that. And in the South, when you're in hot and humid areas, pop-up showers, much more oh, yeah. normal thing, pop-up storms, they pass through and the radar looked much worse than what actually happened. And we got a full race in. So yeah. all in all, good weekend. I enjoyed the event. Um, let's move on. I guess we kind of both did our first. That thing, was our right? first. Yeah. So what yeah. do you have for your second? So we'll take. move to number two. Second take. Scott Dixon's winning this championship. That's my second Ooh, takeaway. Wow. And uh, despite New Garden and Power both up there in contention. Yes, I, I think so because you look at some of the numbers for Dixon on the season. Yes, he has two wins. To me, getting that second win is key because I get that they're thirty-three points separated. Between the top five, Alex Blow in fifth, 33 back. Then you have New Garden, who's what, 22 back. Uh, you have yeah, Erickson, back. who's 12 back. And then Dixon, six back. Dixon has two wins. That puts him above everyone except New Garden. New Garden's been so inconsistent, though, that I'm just, I'm not sold because it's feast or famine, it seems. Will Power had another non top five weekend. He has zero top 10 finishes this season. They're all top fives, podiums, and he has the one win at Detroit. But he has three bad finishes, bad being worse than 10th, which is not that bad in this series. But Scott Dixon just has the one on the year, which is wild. And that was the Indy 500 where he won the pole. He led the most laps, if not for that pit speed penalty at the on his final pit stop. He probably wins that race. I don't think there's much of a doubt. He had a dominant car. And that's the only thing holding him back from having the points lead right now. And yet you still feel like he's the favorite and you look at it and uh, who is to argue at this point? Alex Blow hasn't won a race, so I'm ruling him out until he wins a race. Yeah, I agree. I I can't put him in championship contention. I get that he's 33 points back, but when you haven't won a race on the year, that is is a huge gap to overcome. Marcus Erickson, only one win. Will Power, only one win. Newgarden has a bunch, but he has, let's see, one, two, three, four, five finishes outside the top 10. That's not going to get it done. 
Marcus Erickson has not been good enough, in my opinion, to win this championship. His one win was huge, obviously the 500, not only in stature, but also the double points. That's yeah, kind of been carrying him through the second half of the season. He's been good, but he's he's in that you know fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth range most weekends since the 500. Yes, he got second at Road America, but you got to be getting more podiums on the season, and, and that's what he's lacking at this point. Power is either a, a podium or outside the top 10. So it's like, yes, that's a major points haul, but you have to have more than one win. Uh, to me, it's going to take a minimum of two wins to win this championship, ideally at least three, and, and only Dixon and Newgarden right now have that opportunity, in in my mind, to, to get there. In my opinion, Gateway is the key event left because of the attrition you could have at Gateway, the ability to race your way up towards the front if you don't qualify well. You look at Portland, you look at Laguna Seca, very much a track position type race, right? So when we look at what could be unpredictable or anything can happen, it's Gateway. So whoever comes out of Gateway, either with a win or a podium or whatever, I feel has the inside track provided they can qualify well. Gateway is typically a Penske track as far as winning races, but Dixon's always solid there. I mean, you finish in the top five, you're in the thick of it. Portland, it's whoever gets through the first turn on skate. Right. And then Laguna Seca, it's all about qualifying. Yeah. So I think in terms of Gateway weekend, that's the weekend if you don't have the best qualifying session or whatever that you can make something happen. You want to survive Gateway. You want to finish toward the top. Don't get caught in any, any... uh, you know, accidents or anything like that. That to me is the key before we head west to crown a champ. All right. So that's my second takeaway. I look, I've been saying that since he got the Toronto win, I felt pretty confident in his chances and even more so after this past weekend. Uh, who am I to disagree at this point? I mean, uh, who, who can you, you know, count on more than anybody in this series? It's Scott Dixon. All right. What's your second takeaway? Oh, let's look at, we, we kind of mentioned, uh, Kyle Kirkwood, but I think we need to, you know, once again, a mistake on his part. Unfortunately, he takes out fellow rookie David Malukas. What do we think right now are legit expectations for Kyle Kirkwood next year at Andretti? Because in my opinion, they've changed significantly from a, okay, he's going to get his feet wet at Foyt and get a couple decent results and really show flashes, and then he'll go to Andretti next year to really you know start showing out and getting some real results. Now I'm just kind of wondering if he can get through the season next year without wrecking three or four cars. I would say his expectations next year are a blank slate. And, you get reset were, next year? Yeah. And, and I think that was always going to be the case regardless of how this season went. Now, if he overperformed and won a race or multiple races in a Foyt car, yes, I think expectations yeah. would be astronomical. Sure. But we also didn't have that expectation going into the season for Kirkwood. I think our expectation was he could maybe have one or two like really solid weekends, but he could be a, a guy with top 15 finishing results week right. in, week out, if everything comes together. And unfortunately, it is not. But I, I don't think I've I've written him off just because of a bad rookie year. I mean, Joseph Newgarden had an abysmal rookie year. True. Dario Franchitti's rookie year was a disaster. I think, though, with the hype that came with Kyle Kirkwood, 
And, you know, it was probably unfair, right? Because of the dominance he showed in the road to Indy and winning, you know, what was it? Almost half of the races he appeared in, in the road to Indy. We expected more. And that's probably not fair to him because it is still a steep learning curve from lights to IndyCar. But this was a guy that, you know, still has the potential to be a star, but was really kind of looked upon as, as, as the next big thing in open wheel racing in terms of drivers from America and just hasn't lived up to it. And, you know, he made another bad mistake on Sunday with, you know, the fact that he could have finished in the top 10 easily on the line. Kirkwood's already outperformed New Garden's rookie year. New Garden didn't have a single top 10 his rookie year. Oof. So to put it in perspective. Messy. All right. What's your number three? All right. My number three, man, this is, this is tough. <sighs> you know what? I, I have to give a, a shout out to Alexander Rossi and Colton Herta with how they drove. They were sure. kind of the show driving back through the field, getting their laps back uh, individually at, at different times in the race. But for them to finish top five and for a bit until that last restart where Herta actually struggled. I mean, I thought Colton Herta might actually win this race. Right. He's, he's charging through the field. I mean, he was the guy that both of us picked yeah. on the podcast last week. I even bet money on him on Thursday last week when the, you know, I got him at plus 650 and I thought it was going to be a disastrous day for him on Sunday. And, you know, I was thinking late in the race, maybe I could make some money with Colton. He had a, a good race after that contact with Kellett. Rossi had that weird spin out, and he kind of tangled with Eilat, who I think had a flat tire yeah. also in that incident. But, I mean, both of them, to do what they did, gives proof to the fact that, yes, you can find your way to the front on this track, and it's not all about qualifying position. I mean, Herta started 23rd, finished 5th. Rossi, 17th, finished 4th. Dixon started 14th. He won the race. So qualifying is not everything. It's avoiding the carnage, picking your spots, and the drivers who even had some issues, Dixon, Herta, Rossi, I mean, they were all involved in incidents. They were still able to finish in the top five. So I think it goes back to you have to treat this race not like a typical street circuit, but like you're kind of saying, you, you treat it like the Indy 500. Just get through the first half of the race, right, and then with you know, 20 to go in this event, for example, see where that's you're when at. you really kind of have your, your chances and see, like you said, see where you're at. If you're in the top 10 halfway through. Okay. You can check that off. You survived the worst of it. If you're just in the race halfway through this event, <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a victory survived. in itself. Yeah. Right? So, I mean, patience is everything with this event. And I think they got through the early struggles. were able to drive through the field. Rossi basically said, what, this feels like a win? Or was that hurt? One of them said that yeah. after the fact. Yeah. And it, it should because so much happened between their issues early in this race within the first, what, 10 laps? Yeah. And what they were able to do. So I guess to me, shout out to them, shout out to their team because they were patient and they were able to find a way to get it done. And I'm going to throw in one other driver. Shout out to Jack Harvey, top 10. Hey, how about that? Good, good for Jack. I mean, Christian Lungard, another solid race. It was a decent weekend for RLO. Yeah. Outside of Grand Marais Hall. Yeah. They, they qualified well, all four, or all, all four, all three in the top 12. And Jack Harvey just survived. This is a race you have to survive. And those guys that I named, they survived and made it to the end. Yeah. Well done, Jack Harvey. Much needed 
top 10. Yeah, it, it came because there was a lot of attrition, but going back, when we look back, you know, next year, year after, you're not thinking about that. You just see the 10th place, right? Yeah. And getting through all those cautions means you're probably doing something right. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, my number three, let's talk qualifying. Because once again, there's rumblings and grumblings based on when the yellow comes out, when the red comes out, how little time there is. I, I, I think there are going to be adjustments both ways. I think we continue to say, look, you know, on a track that is problematic in terms of bringing out cautions or reds, why are you sitting on pit road waiting like you do every other track? That makes no sense. So I don't feel too bad about that. But I do wonder why IndyCar continues to run the clock during a red. We're no longer seeing qualifying on television. So don't throw, you know, we only have a limited TV window. I know some of these races, particularly street courses, have tight schedules. But IndyCar Nashville was the show, right? I mean, they had supporting series, but... Yeah, they moved super trucks, for example, on Sunday due to the the weather after the IndyCar race. Which means, unfortunately, a lot of people missed out on that show. Super Trucks is great, by the way. Yeah, but I don't understand why they don't stop the clock on a red. Because... It it is puzzling, right? Or they have some rule, and someone will correct us, I'm sure. You have a minimum... a lot of rules. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There's a minimum guaranteed green flag time per qualifying session, right? Right. And is it you know, four minutes, five something minutes, something like that, because you know, the, the, the yellow or the red will come out with like five and a half, six minutes to go. And that's pretty much it. Right. So I don't know if it's four minutes. I don't know what, look, I understand drivers should go out right at the jump. Right. I understand that, but it would be easy just to stop the clock on a red. I don't understand why we're doing this. I mean, like I said, I understood when it was on TV, I understand if maybe you're secondary to another series, but you're not. So why aren't we throwing the red and stopping the clock? Yeah, it's... I'd have to get an explanation on that because I find it odd as well. I I get running the clock under yellow, but not under a red flag. Right. I I don't understand it. I mean, we talked about the drivers that came from from back in the pack, starting back in the pack. Dixon, Rossi, Herta. Those guys all had quick cars Friday and Saturday. Were burned in qualifying and you know i can go both ways i can say get out get out there and put a lap in quicker or you can say why are we doing this why are we throwing in the red and 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 that clock ticking down like what what do we we're not trying to fit into a tv window here like what are we doing isn't that one of the benefits of peacock is you can do this you can go over quote unquote your allotted time uh i i just would like a rash explanation because i don't think we've ever gotten one from indycar they're basically like, well, that's the rules. We do this to have a minimum, you know, time per session, but you're still wasting a majority of time. And when we talk about entertainment, nobody on track is not entertaining at all. And so you would think they'd want to maximize their time on track and the drama that can potentially happen at the end of those qualifying sessions that almost happen all the time at every race and every round, right? So why take that away when I don't really understand what the issue is yeah I, I don't get that and like you said if they met the minimum time and that's four minutes five minutes so be it yeah but it's not a television thing yeah and 
I don't think there are other series. You know, other series can wait if IndyCar is a primary event. Yeah, it's at the, the track, event, right? So it shouldn't matter. As far like as the I understand, schedule. like Long Beach, it's probably not conducive to Long Beach because there's so much going on, right? But what's the what's what's stopping him by throwing a flag at Mid Ohio and Nashville and Toronto and you know Barber? I don't understand why we're doing this. I agree. Are they? Are they? Are they you know, too stubborn to say, well, we can't have the different rules of different track. Like, why the hell not? If you can do it, do it. If you can't do it at Long Beach, I understand, then don't do it. But if you can do it, throw it and stop the clock. All right, you good? Yeah, I'm good. I'm, okay. I'm settled. Yeah, <laughs> I'm thinking yeah, it's one of those one of those days, one of those yeah. podcasts. Apparently, we're, we're Look, I love IndyCar. I love the sport. Don't get me wrong. It's just you know, it's just oh, you know. For the record, we both enjoyed the race. We did. We did absolutely <laughs> love the race. We even put a poll up, you know, totally, totally scientific poll that we put up, you know, whether the uh, the the, tra- the race was uh, butt or not butt <laughs> is what we asked. And what we have? 50, 65% of people said the Music City Grand Prix, the circuit is not butt. Okay. So there you go. All right. It's not be. It's not changing next year because that the people highly, have spoken. Highly scientific. Highly scientific. A lot of exit polling. Data collection. Data collection. You know, demographics. Even that. Everything was put into this. So, sixty-five uh, percent of people said no. The circuit is not butt at Nashville. So there's your answer. No more. No more changes to the track. Nope. The people have. Roger spoken. Penske will say that to the Nashville folks. Is you know, people voted. It is not butt. <laughs> I would love to get to see a soundbite of Roger Penske saying it is not, but you'll never get that. No, probably not. <laughs> hey, with deep fakes these days, anything's possible. True. True. Um, so that's our three takeaways. Just a, a look at other notes from the box score. I, you know what? I can't believe we didn't talk about this. The new garden grow shot. I mean, like well, that we was, I was it. balancing that with my number three, but I decided to go the qualifying. Okay. Route. Well, we'll talk about it. Yes, this wasn't as egregious as Kirkwood's absolute dive bomb on David Malukas into turn yeah. nine. However, Grosjean had nowhere to go with how Newgarden turned in. And I'm not sure what I'm more surprised by in the aftermath, that, that there was no penalty. I guess I should not have been surprised. Or the fact that I'm seeing people say, well, what goes around comes around, and that's how Grosjean races, so you have to deal with the effects. To me... The rules should be applied regardless of who they're being applied to. Rules are rules. If that's a penalty, it's a penalty. If it's not, it's not. I just it should always. I don't be like the the commentary yeah. that. Well, they had it coming. Like I, I I fully disagree with that. I would totally agree. You know the the conspiracy theorists would throw out there that you know Newgarden is a Penske driver. I'm not buying into that. No, I'm, I'm not just buying that either. I'm just surprised that hasn't been thrown out more since Roger Penske bought the series. But, you know, I digress. But I agree. A penalty is a penalty is a penalty. No matter who does it, whoever, who it's done to, no matter where it is in the race, where that those people are on track, it shouldn't matter, right? That was, other than, than what you mentioned uh, with the earlier incident, that was as blatant of an of overdrive into the turn that we've seen all day. And I'm, I'm shocked that it's, uh, it wasn't penalized. Now I'm, I'm here all for it. The back and forth after the race, Grosjean, you know, you know, twirling his, his, uh, his hand, like, you know, wondering, you know, what's in the brain of Newgarden. I'm here for it. Love it. But 
it was a penalty. Why wasn't it called? It, I mean, even on the broadcast, Townsend Bell was kind of questioning it, and Hinch was was kind of going back and forth, and I think he eventually agreed, right, that yes, Newgarden was technically ahead, but with the line that he took and, and slipping inside, Grosjean had nowhere to go. Yeah. Like, it, it's not like he was given space to complete the corner. Newgarden was never making that corner without hitting somebody. Correct. And that's a blatant uh, you know, rules violation with avoidable contact, right? So why wasn't it called? Is it was it called wasn't called because it was Roman Grosjean? Was it not called because it was Joseph Newgarden? Was it not called because pace of the race? I don't know. Where they were on track. I don't know. If it was not called because of Grosjean, then we have even more problems we have to, issues. to dive into. Now, if the precedent is just letting people race, look. And it has to be the ones, precedent all the way through, right? Yes, for everyone. So yes. if that precedent that we felt like that was established at Mid-Ohio last month, if that's what it is and what Newgarden did, okay, then it has to be applied consistently from here on out. And at least I'll give them credit because if that's how they're viewing it, no penalty is consistent. Right. I, I you know, this is a separate conversation where you see, you know, avoidable contacts, either drive through, it's either a stop and go. Would you like to see an F1 approach where they're just adding time at the end where it's a 15 second penalty at the end? You know what? I would, because I feel like it's more of a punishment. More of a punishment. I think it's easier too. I mean, in terms of, you know, they actually have to call the penalty first, but instead of like, okay, you know, we got to figure out where he's on track and see, you know, blah, blah, blah. Do we call up, a, a, you know, a drive through? Is it a stop and go? Does he have to go to the back of the field? Maybe it's just timing. Newgarden goes from looking at the box score. He goes from finishing in sixth, 2.1 seconds down, to he would go all the way back to 12th if he loses five seconds. Was it's he, more of a penalty because, look, especially at a race like this with a stop and go, it could maybe not even impact you that much. Was he not punished, not penalized because of the impact it would have made on the championship? I hope not. Like, I hope that wasn't the reason. Right. I mean, whatever reason they give is going to be wrong, right? I'm just wondering what they're thinking is because there was precedent on that being a penalty that they did not call on Joseph Newgarden. And like you said, you can say, oh, Grosjean had it coming to him or goes around, comes around. It's still a penalty, right? That wasn't called. And once again, we're talking about race control being inconsistent. I think we both agree that was deserving of a penalty. It's just, if they're not going to call it, 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 again, every week we're going to say, okay, did they follow the precedent that has been established or they call a penalty it was not deserved? Look, if Kirkwood and, and Malukas if somehow they escape without crashing in that, that's right. a penalty, right? Absolutely. Okay. Just, just making I just, sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's the same questions we continue to ask. I don't feel like, I feel like sometimes race control makes things more difficult than they are. Like, you know, if it's a penalty at mid Ohio, it's a penalty at Nashville. If it's a penalty at gateway, it's a penalty at Toronto or Iowa. Like I, I you know, there's some calls that could go either way. This was not one of them. It was blatant. I would agree. All right, taking a look at other notes from the Nashville weekend. Not really a whole lot that we didn't cover on this. Uh, One thing I thought was fascinating. All right, Scott McLaughlin set the Team Penske record for all-time polls this weekend. Yeah. Who is in second? For Team Penske. 
Team Penske all-time poles? Yes, the entire organization, because that was the, the key caveat. No, he's not the Team Penske IndyCar all-time polls leader. Oh, so all-time he, yes. Penske. Yes, because um, you got to remember his time in, in Australia with supercars. I mean, he was dominant. Correct. So this has to be with Penske? Yeah, the entire organization. Are we just talking open wheel, or are we talking... The entire organization. That doesn't mean that it's not open wheel. I'm just saying the oh, entire organization. Uh, Sam Ornish. No. Rick Mears. No. Is it somebody in NASCAR? Nope. Okay. It is an IndyCar. I'll give you that hint. Elio? Yes. Oh. It's been a minute since he's been on pole, so you kind of forget. Yeah. Well, I, to me, the obvious answer is Will Power, right? I mean, sure. that's what you think right away, but he's the, the sole leader. He used to be tied with Elio at 50, McLaughlin now with... 51 for, or excuse me, 61 all time impressive for team Penske. So I, I think the obvious guess is power for that. And I was surprised that it was not so interesting little tidbit. Also, as far as the finish with Scott McLaughlin, who was very much in this race until the very end, NASCAR man underscore RR Scott Dixon's margin of victory over Scott McLaughlin was 0.106 seconds. IndyCar's closest finish of all time on a street course Fourth closest in combined road and street courses. The closest ever for combined 2001 Cleveland, or, or excuse me, 97 Portland, 0.027 seconds with that great finish there yep. at Portland. I'm trying to think of who won that. And wasn't Mark Lundell involved? Ooh, Someone else? I have no clue. 90, 97 Portland. Yeah, a little bit before my time watching Open Wheel Weekend and Week Out. Um. I don't know. There's not really a whole lot else. Oh, we did learn over the weekend that a couple of extensions. One, Fifth Third Bank is returning with Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan Racing uh, through 2025. Primary sponsor for four races for Graham Ray Hall, including Nashville, so as the GMR GP, Road America, and Mid Ohio. Also, fourth race this year for. Uh, Peretta Autosport and Simona Di Silvestro. They'll be uh, at Laguna Seca. Yeah, nice to see after a disappointing, you know, quote-unquote final race yeah. of the season uh, in Nashville. No, through no fault of their own. No, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, and then obviously they still hope to at least run road and street course races next year, potentially with Ed Carpenter racing. Also, you look at uh, Marco Andretti had an announcement, Big Machine Racing and NASCAR Xfinity Series. He'll race at the Charlotte Roval October 8th. It was kind of something he had been teasing on SRX, particularly after winning the championship in SRX. So good to see Marco enjoying, I guess, retirement from IndyCar and open wheel racing, but having some success elsewhere. And I must add the Wyuli tires. Yep. Didn't see any complaints about them. Everything brand smooth. Which, you know, to break it down, you know, it was only the sidewalls for this year. Yes. Which was kind of like a trial run for the entire tire to be Wyuli, maybe potentially next year. So, you know, the the, the slicks, you know, exactly weren't all Wyuli. It was just the sidewalls. But, yeah, no incidents. And, I, you know... They fell off just like alternates. It was uh, just just fine. So I'm all for the greens, but take a drink every time somebody says the reds instead of the greens at a Wiley <laughs> race. 
Yeah, good luck. Good luck with that. Have fun with that. That will not be fun. Okay, TV rating. Well, we don't really have an accurate number because it's only on NBC for what? Like an hour and change, maybe? Yeah, I'm kind of surprised they didn't at least give us a TV rating for the NBC portion unless it was just terrible. CNBC, 121,000. Look, you're not going to get a good number on CNBC regardless. But as far as the season goes, NBC Sports PR releasing this. The 2022 IndyCar season, most watched through 13 races since 2008, with a total audience delivery of 1.456 million viewers. That year was on ABC, ESPN, and ESPN2. That was the first year since uh, reunification. Had good ratings, and now hopefully they will stay uh, as good or better than that season. I think double digits, yes, I think is the obvious thing with all the races on network, but beating that season where you had combined series and actually had for a brief moment IndyCar in a position of strength and health and then the recession hit. Right. But I mean, that's at least a benchmark to, to me. Let, yeah, let's hope they can finish strong with final three races. Rain delays never help, but uh, you know, I was hoping for a better number on, on Sunday and the fact that we didn't hear that NBC number makes me think it wasn't good. Yeah. So that wraps up uh, everything from Nashville. If you agree or disagree with our takes on the race, we'd love for you to interact with us. You can find us online, newtrackrecordpodcast.com. While you're there, sign up for the email list so you never miss any of the uh, episodes or special announcements. Plus, check out the store. We have shirts and stickers for sale there. You can find us on social media. Our Twitter handle is IndyCarPodcast. On Facebook, like us, just search for New Track Record. And on Instagram, IndyCar Podcast as well. You can also email us, NewTrackRecordPodcast at gmail.com with your questions, comments, or IndyCar-related rants. And you can find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash NewTrackRecord. Four different supporter tiers for you, as cheap as $1 a month. Thanks to Xavier, Rob, and others who are supporting us on Patreon. And as always, you can find us on your favorite podcasting platform, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Podbean, or more. As always, you can follow us for free. All right, Justin, mailbag time and plenty to get to. Not that this is a surprise. Anytime you have a wild race, it seems like there are a lot of comments. Yes. That is both ways. Very much how that goes. So we go back to late last week on uh, some of the things going on. And we got the Marshall Pro article on Felix Rosenquist. And apparently his contract is, well, <laughs> Pruitt reporting on racer.com. He's not under contract beyond 2022. And then we've seen other reports that there's an option for McLaren to pick up for 2023. That I don't know what's true and what's not who, anymore. Who knows? I mean, the latest from, from Marshall Pruitt this week in the mailbag was basically saying if Alex Pillow is not in the seat next year, it'll be Felix Rosenquist. Which I think is oddly what we're rooting for, right? <laughs> kind of. It, the whole thing is so confusing. But uh, Jeremy from HBG says drivers and owners are not only not on the same page, they're in different libraries. Yeah. Daguerre says, like I've said before, there's not a word in McLaren's press release about Rosenquist's new contract that sounds remotely like him. I doubt it was approved by him. Who knows? You know, those fake quotes. And then uh, this, if Rosenquist ends up in the 10 car next year, this whole thing would come full circle. A couple of replies to that. Hunter's Way 67 says, 
Don't forget Askew. He impressed CGR and Mike Hull when he tested for them when he's still in Indy Lights. Degara says, Rosenquist to Andretti seems more likely. They can get rid of DeFrancesco, and there should be some performance clause in Grosjean's contract, too. Who knows? Yeah. I don't I don't think Grosjean's going anywhere, but DeFrancesco, we've heard. Yeah. That seat a, could be open. A possibility. All right. Caption this. It's a, a picture of Jimmy Johnson Alex Blow and Marcus Erickson at a Nashville dining establishment. This is before the race weekend. And Erickson is holding up his phone that Jimmy and Blow are looking at intently. So we'll, we'll see. R. Cole says, hey, look, another contract from McLaren. Poet Shevchenko says, hey, Alex, check out who McLaren chose for their F1 seat. <laughs> Brutal. Ouch. And Daguerre says, look, guys, Zach Brown just sent me a contract, too. <laughs> As always, it was always going to be contract yeah, yeah. And, and McLaren the gifts jokes. that keeps on giving right spin 0317 says just listening to the show this referencing last week my thoughts on the whole not throwing the caution immediately while not the same situation the Jules Bianchi incident should be enough to not leave uh, running cars on track without a caution great point definitely great point great great point as well how soon we forget right uh, this from busy underscore travel Jimmy in the wall. I'm waiting for you guys to rip into him. Hey, suspension failure. I mean, at, at, at initially, oh, I was I was ready, but once they confirmed that a part had broken, I stepped away. Yeah, there's. I I can't fault the guy for that. And he'd been racing. Around. I mean, we talk about all the drivers that didn't drive well and respect the track. I thought Jimmy drove pretty well. Yeah, I I would agree. I mean, he was solidly min pack and. Look, for races like this, you just got to survive. And right. he was doing that until the incident. Yeah. I mean, kudos to him. But, that man, that was a hard hit for him. All right. Rate the race time. How would you rate the race? 8.5. Wow. To 9. Yes. I, th- I, I loved it. I will go an 8. It had a great finish. It had a lot of intrigue and drama. I don't think it had an on-track pass for the lead, oddly enough. There was a lot of passing on track. There was a lot of uncertainty. You really, even midway through the race, had no idea who the hell was going to win that thing. Yeah, absolutely. Scott Dixon Scar says 10 plus. I might say I'm a bit biased. Yeah, just a little bit. Uh, Jeremy from HBG. If the track was better laid out, if the drivers would drive the track to their abilities, if race control was consistent, then it would deserve a number. It was entertaining, but for the wrong reasons. I am analog says eight. Love the chaos. It would have been interesting to see if McLaughlin could have caught Dixon in another lap. I think he would have. Dixon's tires were so old. By the way, I I did give it an eight, right? Yes. Okay. All right. Just making sure I, I said that. DC Soda for drama and drivers complaining and complaining about the complaining. It's a 10. <laughs> for the racing, it's probably a seven of how cautions shake it up. But both years have had two to three too many. So the race loses any flow. Uh, Plan spades late. 10 for the bleep show, one for the on-track product, total score five. Here, Lebanon, Tennessee is a great speedway. I've made my thoughts clear on that. Clearly. Full send race. Honestly, is a lot of fun to watch at various points, but the amount of laps under caution was just too much. Love the event and drama, but something needs to be done to clean it up at least a little bit. So I guess we'll do a six and a half. Vicky Lynn 26 says... When there was actual racing, it was good. Love seeing Scotty Mack make a run at Dixie at the end, but too many cautions just ruined the flow. Not sure if it should stay on the calendar or not, but maybe third time's the charm, LOL. Uh, Hunter's Way 67 gave it a five. What little green racing we got was really good. All the caution laps killed it. Opening up turn 11 
helped add some action there, but tightening up turn nine created some issues. You know, they put sweets down there, but maybe try to open that up a little more. Could you imagine walking away from a event that the city wants that draws a crowd that is in a big, important market for your sport just because you're upset that there were too many cautions? No. Not if the promoter is, I mean, because the city's not paying any money for this. Yeah, and they're making money. taking care of everything. Yeah, you know, the economy gets it a a boost, right? I mean, this is a series that doesn't necessarily have a lot of venues, you know, crashing down its door wanting events, and you want to walk away from a street course in Nashville, Tennessee, because it had a couple too many caution flags? It's insanity to me. (laughs) Insanity to me. Coach Shevchenko said, no idea. That's fair. According to Stitch, not really sure rules matter anymore, so I give it a B minus. Hashtag defy (laughs) everything. (laughs) Bill Hessa, hard to say. I enjoy the kids being up front, but too many incidents were momentum killers. I do think they should continue to go there. It only matters if the entire weekend is successful. Uh, Rock Vam D, give it a six. I know sponsor signage pays the bills, but maybe turn five, six, and seven just be the fence to help with track visibility for the drivers They're basically blind corners saw some good action throughout the field when they weren't under caution uh, P Gaynor 14 I guess just a neutralish six and a half I enjoyed it and thought there were less silly mistakes more hard racing than last year maybe one or two fewer cautions it could be the right balance Jeff Zerneski gave it a five the racing was reminiscent of a demolition derby or figure eight race the weather was terrible the venue not track is great Dixon winning and tightening up the championship battle was good as well. Maybe IndyCar can find a way to change the track to enhance the event. Says, I do want this event to continue. Great way to promote the series. Just need to cut down on the crashes and cautions. A lot of people with the same yeah. same same. No, I, I, I respect their opinions. Daniel SEM 2004 gave it a six. This race is always going to be a crash fest, but honestly, it feels like it is something IndyCar needs. Lots of spicy comments. From the driver's post-race and festering anger in the paddock. It's what the series needs. Draw fan interest, more drama. I agree. Yeah, absolutely agree. Atlanta Cat 99-2. Nashville's just not suited to any car racing and they should not go back. Allowances were made last year for it being a new event. But they supposedly made improvements to the track line and it just wasn't enough. Let's try somewhere else. I- Nobody else wants a street race. Nobody yeah. else right now wants a race in IndyCar. Maybe Pittsburgh, but that's a long shot. Yeah, I mean, not anytime soon. Like, you know, what are you guys talking about? Walk away, go away, because you don't like the race. That's insane. Uh, Hero IndyCar five. They shouldn't all be like that, but every so often, sure. Uh, Beans Ball Card Blog gave it a three. Too many cautions, not enough racing. Troy L. Vaughn. I'd much rather see them back on the Oval in Nashville. The street course just doesn't work well. Uh, D underscore Mark twenty three. The racing point five. The event and all the headlines that come out of it. Drivers mad at each other. Dixon tightens up the championship race. Ten. Uh, Big D cart 10, of course, a thrill a minute. Any car needs more of these in the Oreo one since zero wasn't an option. Uh, Love our Oreo. <laughs> Schmoll Eric understood on traditional racing concerns, but entertainment level high, right? I the beholder, but so many talking points after this chaotic race. Yeah. What was it? Pure racing? No. Was it entertaining? Yeah, absolutely. And it's 2022. We need to start thinking more about sports entertainment. Mike Jarrett, 33, give it a nine. Phil underscore uh, Barksdale, oh, his review, he's not completed his review. It says his review was rain delayed. Uh, <laughs> NK Harden, give it a seven. 
who I attended the race with. I know people are going to complain about the yellows, and I get it. I was there in between the rain delay and the yellows is, is another long day. Having watched the lights race right before, though, I think the yellows helped to keep the field close and set up loads of drama. And then he added, only real complaint was how long it took to clear some of the cars and two fewer yellows would have made a better flow. The rest was very, very in all caps, entertaining. The rain delay and lack of communication from any car and when the race would start was the most annoying part of the day. Yes, I would agree. I, I'm not sure if I fully addressed that, but simply, they allowed fans, they gave fans the all clear to add to the stands, but there is no announcement as far as IndyCar, and apparently they were still under a lightning delay for like another <laughs> 18 minutes, which I'm thinking, so if they're under a lightning delay, which I think but is like sitting, every half hour, but I'm yeah, sitting in the you're stands. You're sitting in aluminum bleachers. <laughs> um, so, something here does not seem right. Yeah, very much to, you know, you see a lightning bolt, you have to start that clock at a half hour. Yes. All right, Scott underscore Stiller gave it a five. Too many caution flags. Greatest race car drivers in the world don't act like it in Music City. Yeah, it's the race car driver's fault. Yes. Uh, let's see here. Jay Hoover 99 one redesigned the track. I nope. disagree. Uh, Rob underscore uh, McMahon. Man, it could be a 10 or a 1. Confused, not sure how to feel. And drunk at Indy says, same weird race. Yeah, I, I understand I dig those weird responses. Every so often. This is Jeff SB, three to four for me. People love the anything can happen, anyone can win. And we're up for excitement. Any excitement will love it. I can't see it being popular with diehard open wheel fans. I don't I'd think say it's mixed because we're diehard. Yeah, hearts. we are, but I don't think <laughs> I don't think really we need to look at it at this event like that. I think it's a different market that you're getting people, and I would, you know, really say this about every street race, really, is you're gonna have people watching that otherwise don't. So Try to entertain them as much as possible. Just don't be dangerous. John Lankford, 10. Very entertaining and complete chaos. Wyatt Nash, 3. I'm going to say a 5. The racing was good. There wasn't a yellow flag. I think they need to reconsider racing there again. Maybe try to widen the track. Think about how much all that damage costs the race teams. Not good. That's on the race teams. It's fine, right? Uh, That's on the drivers. Yeah. And PTRCK Worley, 12. 1. What a fiasco. Same as last year. All right. Well, sign me up for more fiasco-ness. Yeah, more more chaos. I I don't know. I I get that I think our opinion is unpopular, but but we're unpopular at times. Yeah. You know, what would you rather have that or a straight up street course race, standard 3 pit stops for everybody. There's one caution and you're dozing off in the middle of it. Yeah, it's Look, you want to race on the Oval? That's fine. You have Less fun with 8,000 people there. Yeah, you'll be lucky. Maybe the first year you'll get 20,000, and that seems high because it's nowhere close Look, to Nashville. Do you not think that IndyCar, when they looked at returning to Nashville, looked at the, uh, at the Oval and probably did a lot more research than Twitter folks saying, go back to the Oval. I'm sure they looked at it and said, I don't think we can draw a crowd there. Hey, what about a street course race? Bingo. And then a couple other submissions I want to get to. What if we told you we enjoyed Sunday's race? <laughs> uh, Poet Shevchenko said, I dare say I agree. Fit J 1983. Martinsville with wings and right turns. I like that. Transition Trojan. I was glued to the TV as well. It was crap racing, but great drama with two thumbs up emojis. I'm all for crap racing at times. And according to Stitch, since you have to crash to win the Music City GP, it's amazing Taku hasn't won it yet. That we, made me laugh we, out loud. We did not say it, but uh, yeah, that that's pretty funny. 
So that that's a look. Oh, and then one more. Uh, Zim Zalagrim, 17 cautions isn't a race, it's a parade. I mean, those 17 cautions over two years, to be fair. Yeah. That's, um, that's not no, one year. I, I, uh, the last thing that I saw on Sunday was a parade, except the parade laps. I saw, what was it, 80 laps, 70 laps, 60 laps, whatever it was, of whether it was racing, whether it was strategy, whether it was tires, whether it was drama, I was thoroughly entertained all the way through. Because every time a caution came out, you had to figure out if you were coming in or not, if you were going to put greens or primaries on. I mean, every single caution had stakes at hand. You wanted to figure out when to be the first to, to, to pit, but not be the last. You know, how long could you last on a certain set of tires with, before performance started dropping? I mean, it had everything, in my opinion. All right, that wraps up the mailbag. Uh, plenty of submissions this week. Had to narrow it down, but thanks everyone for your submissions each and every week. Time for news and notes. Not a whole lot to get to here. Of course, we have updates on the court case with Alex Blow. I'm not an attorney. Snoozers. You're not an attorney. <laughs> Basically, the key takeaways, uh, Blow's lawyers uh, state that he told Ganassi on June 15th his desire to leave. There's a bunch of court timeline that extends until Halloween. This could drag on for quite some time. Could it be two and a half months? Could it be two and a half years? Two and a half decades? I don't think it'll be that long. I think the key point here is is on the schedule of events for this whole thing is some out of the court mediation between the two parties. So don't be surprised if they come to some agreement outside of court, which I'm sure is what everybody wants. Yes. And there is a proposal for Pelot to be deposed August 15th. Should be coming up next week. Yeah. Um. Uh, and some of this, there was also a a note about mediation that was to take place August tenth, which was yesterday. So we record this on Thursday, Haven't August the eleventh. So we have not heard anything new on that. But those are the updates. You can read the nitty gritty details in racer dot com or indiestar dot com on all that. We're not going to dive into court speak, um, but. That's the update. We'll, we'll see what, what becomes of it. All right. Some other notes. Kyle Kirkwood, Bomberito Automotive Group, to be the sponsor for Kirkwood for the Bomberito 500. Matt Black Car looks really cool. Does. Hopefully he runs well. Keep it off the wall. Yeah. Work has begun on preparing the streets for the Detroit Grand Prix return to downtown in 2023. Uh, Racer.com, Marshall Pruitt with the story there. And with that, I mean that that is it as far as yeah. news and notes. It's not just not a whole lot going on after this race, surprisingly, because there was a lot to, on Twitter as we shift to tweets of the week. A lot from that. What do we and got? And we start with Marcus Erickson replying to Ro- Roman Grosjean, who just tweeted the angry face emoji. Uh, Erickson said, "What goes around comes around." Love it. Joseph Newgarden, who was fired up on Twitter after the race, replying to people. Um, someone said, embarrassing interview for Newgarden. And he said, how so? Where are your credentials? Oh, wait, don't care. He <laughs> said, don't need credentials to have an opinion. And Newgarden said, you're right, just for people to care. Wow. <laughs> and then uh, someone else talking about uh, Grosjean is... Joseph said, welcome to IndyCar. It gets tight in the post-race. 
And someone replied, hey, Joey, would it have been a penalty if Rome, uh, of Roman if the positions were reversed? And Newgarden replied, he's gotten away with much worse. I love it. He's fired love up. Love it. Fired up. And so that uh, that wraps up uh, Tweets of the Week. Some fired up drivers. But in particular, Joseph Newgarden, who we did not expect. And then I actually saw him reply to these people like a day or two later apologizing. Did he really? Oh, yeah. I'm sure he got a call from Roger. But hey, man, you know, especially at Penske, you don't see a lot of that, right? No, you do not. So I'm sure he was scolded a little bit, but man, I'm here for it. All I'll right. be his ghost texter if he needs one. <laughs> Time for a random split or driver of the week. All right. So we're going to 2002. We're going to the IRL and it's a dangerous area because we're getting into that part where, you know, you and I know most of the, most of the drivers. This one I did not know, though. For Treadway Racing, Anthony Lazaro. Who? Raced a single race in 2002. Bring it up here. For Treadway Racing, like I said, he was actually did the... uh, He was with Sam Schmidt in 2001 and 2002. Actually did a handful of races here, as I look for, for Sam Schmidt Motorsports. Did not qualify for Indianapolis in 2002. Did race at, what the heck is races at? Pikes Peak, 22nd. Actually finished ninth at Nazareth and ninth at Homestead in 2002. But mostly was a stock car guy, uh, raced in uh, mostly NASCAR road courses. So he was one of those ringers, you know. Sonoma, a DNQ in 2001 with TWC Motorsports, 34th at Watkins Glen. 2005 R&J Racing, 28th at Watkins Glen, and did a, a handful of starts in, in the Bush Series. Yeah, 11 races in the Bush Series, only a couple in Cup uh, that came in the early 2000s. Watkins Glen looks like uh, did that in 2001 and 2005, but just portions of two seasons with Sam Schmidt Motorsports and um, a couple top 10s, but you got to remember you know how many cars were starting those races, but uh Anthony Lazaro, he was born in Charleston, South Carolina. So, you know, kind of a good old boy that uh, ventured into open wheel, got some experience in 2001 and 2002. Never qualified for the Indianapolis 500, but he, Anthony Lazaro, is this week's random split era driver of the week. And as a rookie in 96 in the Toyota Atlantic Series, he won at Milwaukee Mile, also won in 97 at Homestead, Miami. Road America in 98, uh, also Laguna Seca that year in Houston. So he won the Toyota Atlantic Championship in 1999. That year he won at Nazareth, Gateway, Troy Rivier, I'm sure I said that wrong, and Laguna Seca. So, Not bad. Yeah, but pretty good uh, kind of junior career for open wheel. But Just couldn't uh, cut it in the big leagues. No, it did, did not work out for him, but... Hey, you said not many drivers in those IRL races. I would disagree. Not at 2002. You're probably talking same number of cars they have now. Really? Yeah. Wow. Nice. Like you're you're looking at 2002, right? And, and drivers. Yeah. That, how many do you have? Like 24, maybe, or even more than that. I mean, I'm looking through the list. There are a lot of teams, a lot more teams then. And yes, there are a lot of drivers who are only doing a handful of races and they kind of piece together the cars. But, right. I mean, th- easily 20 plus full-time entries. Good for Anthony Lazaro. So there you go. All right. That's it for me. 
All right. Well, for Justin Kinney, I am Caleb Hatch. Thanks for joining us on this week's episode. We'll be back next week with the latest in the world of IndyCar, plus a preview of the race coming up at Gateway next weekend. Thanks for joining us on another edition of New Track Record Podcast. Podcasts by Federated Media.